0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to CBuzz, Columbus's first business-focused podcast, presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. Our award-winning show brings you inspiring stories of wisdom and ambition as we speak with leaders from our region's business community. My name is Michaela Hunt. I'm a brand journalist and your CBuzz host, and we're coming to you right now from our home at Capital University's Convergent Media Center, a collaborative space where both students and faculty from diverse areas of study are really empowering to collaborate together in new and exciting ways in things like music, film, creative writing, and digital media. All of the guests on our show are current members of the Columbus Chamber of Commerce. So if you're interested in learning more about a membership for your business, be sure to visit the chamber's website at columbus.org. We hope our conversation today will compel you to really think outside of the box when it comes to your business and your professional career. That's what we want these conversations to do. On today's episode, we are grateful to be speaking with Mark Bryan, who is an associate and senior interior designer at MA Architects, who happen to be all over the place, I think, right now. So, Mark, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, MA is a Columbus, Ohio-based firm that is known for its smart and sustainable design, recently named one of the top 300 architecture firms in the nation by architectural record, and features a an Im- really impressive portfolio of groundbreaking award-winning projects that span across many sectors. I want to learn a little bit about you. I want to learn more about the firm. I want to learn about all of it. So we're going to talk about all all of it today. Let's do it. Okay. So first of all, where are you from originally (laughs) and how long have you worked in Columbus and with M&A?
1: So um, I'm from Delaware, the state. Uh, originally.
0: Not the city or the county. Not the city or the
1: county, which I learned when I moved to Ohio. Um, I actually went to school at Virginia Tech, and then my parents moved to uh, Chillicothe. My dad worked at Adina. And when I graduated, I found myself coming to Columbus and have been here since 2004. Um, And I've been at MA since 2012 now. 2012. Seven years going strong.
0: So why did you want to go into design?
1: Well, so my dad ran hospitals growing up, and as a kid, uh, I loved art and I loved being creative and there was nothing better in my mind than being able to shape spaces that could affect people. And so, uh, I also took one of those aptitude tests and it told me I could either be a translator or an interior designer. Uh, and so I said, <laughs> well, I'd rather affect space and people with interior design.
0: Fantastic. I love those little tests and quizzes because they do help us when we take they them do. at the right They really do. Point at the right time.
1: Right, right time. Yes.
0: <laughs> so. You know, many folks are familiar with the work that you guys do, even if they don't actively realize it. And I also want to start here because – Maybe you could point out for us some M&A projects in Columbus that our listeners might recognize while we're driving or walking throughout the city.
1: Absolutely. So uh, we are a firm of about 100 people now. We have our office here in Columbus, Cincinnati, and then we just opened up in Charlotte. Um, But our one's here in Columbus, so uh, we are working on the White Castle Corporate Headquarters uh, right now. Can't miss that. Nope, you can't. It's affected our entire skyline. Uh, I worked on the Big Lots Corporate Headquarters for about two plus years. That was my life. Um, We are working on the uh, freestanding emergency departments. So you might've seen them in Hilliard or New Albany. Um, We do a lot of work with OSU. So we worked on the Mount Hall renovation and we're getting ready to work with them on the College of Nursing, uh, that expansion. Um, And we are also working on Easton, so we're the architect of record at Easton, uh, so doing a lot of projects with uh, Steiner and Georgetown in that area. Um, And I also worked on the Easton management office as well, too, so all over.
0: So I'm hearing a lot of different industries that Mm -hmm. you work with. so I'm wondering if it's your aesthetic or or what is it that pairs you with the right client? Like, how does that work on your end? What do you look for? What do you think your clients are looking for when they find you?
1: Well, so we, like you said, we work across a bunch of different sectors. So we have uh, healthcare, care, higher education, uh, senior living, multifamily residential workplace, uh, just to name a few. Um, and really, it's at the end of the day, what we find the best pairing are people who want to push the boundaries a little bit. Um, but we practice smart design. Um, it means that we are listening to our clients. We make sure that we're designing for them. We're not designing uh, just for ourselves. We want to make sure that we're spending their money in the right location and we're educating them along the way too. So when we uh, get great clients, we form great relationships. It's not just a one and done projects done. We're, we're done with that client. We like to uh, continue that relationship because you just never know what's going to come and evolve for them. So really building that relationship, um, and just having uh, pie-in-the-sky ideas that we can help translate into real innovative solutions for them.
0: So when I think about what you're saying about smart design, I'm pairing that with some of the older buildings that are well-known in Columbus. And, and I know that our environment impacts us as employees, as workers, but also the people that are coming into to those spaces. Why is smart design so important to what you're doing right now and how, it will, be, how will it be important to us in the future in renovating spaces or creating new?
1: It's about making sure that the solution fits the client and the user properly. So uh, we're going to make sure that We are looking at all the trends that are going on and we are um, tailoring that to their needs. So we're not gonna advise you to do something that's not gonna be a good fit for you at the end of the day. We're going to make sure that we are your advocates um, going forward because we want your projects to last. We don't like things that are short-lived. We wanna make sure that they are long-lasting so that they are beneficial to everybody who's using them because at the end of the day, uh, the users of the space are really the people that we are designing for.
0: Let's talk more about your firm's mission and really how you're actively working towards that vision each and every day in the work that you're doing. So if you can restate that for me, what's what's the mission, what's the vision, and, and, and how do you incorporate that every day?
1: Sure. So um, our mission is enriching lives through innovative design. And what that really means is we're trying to push past just uh, having a great project. We want to make sure that our projects affect the community in a positive fashion. We want to make sure that uh, ultimately, again, the users who are going to be in those spaces uh, have a better outcome or a better um, experience through those spaces.
0: So at the end of the day, that's ultimately, you are incorporating that in- into every part of what you're doing with a client?
1: Every part of what we're doing, whether it's through our front end on our research or whether it's the materials that we choose or helping them with the site selection, we're trying to make sure that all of it, we're pushing boundaries, but we're doing it responsibly. And at the end of the day, again, we're trying to make sure that we better our practice and our community.
0: Let's talk about this comprehensive design team that you have, because I think that goes to what you were just saying. Um, you really do have one at m a What types of advantages does that provide for your clients to have... That comprehensive group.
1: So at MA, um, we can really handle everything from the walls in, uh, except for things like the mechanicals or the electrical. So we have architects on staff, we have interior designers, we have lighting designers, we have code experts who are also our uh, who also do plan reviewing for the city. We have accessibility experts, um, and we have our experiential design team too. So basically, we're your one-stop shop. If you think about it, we're kind of like uh, a recipe that you've got at home that you want to make. So rather than having to go to the store, you have everything in-house. So we can offer all of those solutions to you um, in a seamless you're my manner. you pantry. Exactly. You're my you can pantry. go to us. You can find all the different pieces and parts that you need for your project. And we can really make it seamless because sometimes what happens is when you have pulled from other different groups, you're trying to force things together that just don't work as well as they could. And it really sometimes hinders the innovative process.
0: I mean, how common is it to have all of that together in your industry versus having to part and parcel if I'm the client?
1: It's really not. Um, I mean, I've worked. I've been fortunate enough to work at many different firms, and this is one of the few firms that I've uh, seen out there that actually takes all of those different avenues and aspects and melds them together in a seamless process and offers it to you um, in a way that... Again, we can be your advocate and we can educate you along the process to help you understand why some of these aspects are so important.
0: So I want to dive a little deeper into some of the problems your team is focusing on designing solutions for right now. Yep. So what are some of those?
1: So uh, we've got our research and innovation team and we have done two white papers so far. We've done a white paper on the senior living Uh, facilities and the correct lighting levels because we know that fall risks are such an important thing for them. And so we've taken that and we've been able to translate it into actionable solutions. We are, we did a uh, white paper on the future of higher education and distance learning. Um, And we were looking at new ways that students are going to be learning the different types of students the different types of spaces that they're going to be needing. So translating that into space design too. Um, and we're getting ready to uh, write our third white paper on co-living spaces and how we can build community within co-living spaces.
0: With the seniors and the lighting, yes, definitely an issue. What needs to change about the lighting environment?
1: Well, so a couple of things. One, um, you can't just have standard lighting. You need to have contrast because as our eyes age, we can't perceive the contrast, contrast change as much as we can when we're younger. Our eyes also yellow, and so certain colors um, start to not be as familiar to us as we get older. Um, You also have uh, patients who, or not patients, I should say, uh, residents who have um, some mental health issues like dementia. And so casting shadows can also be an issue. So you have to take into all that to account because it's the lighting going down into the floor and then the flooring materials um, can be a really huge impact on making sure that we reduce fall risk rates.
0: And then the distance learning piece, that white paper, I find that interesting because I'm sure universities, colleges are looking at different ways to engage their students, Mm -hmm. no matter what type of student they are. So does that look like new places and spaces for these folks to go to? Tell me about that.
1: It does actually. So right now we are looking at maker spaces, which are places where students can go and they can actually try stuff out. Um, We find uh, through our research that When they have that opportunity to learn by doing, they get to design and critical thinking a lot faster. And they're also not afraid to fail as much. That fear of failure can sometimes hinder people from the learning process. Uh, We're also seeing libraries are changing because it used to be when I went to school, you went to the library, you got to into the card catalog and you got the book that you needed and you sat down and you studied and then you put the book back. Well, now that everything is digital, some of that space is changing for its need and it's actually becoming social spaces that are allowing kids to form a connection um, in different ways um, or just having communal space where they can be studying, but they're still studying beside each other versus being studying uh, in a siloed arena.
0: All for social spaces for those kids who sometimes too often are stuck on a tablet or something like that, talking exactly. to their friends. To have a community in those spaces is so important. And then this co-living white paper. So tell me what that's about.
1: So do you know uh, much about co-living
0: at all? I, I want to know more about it now that you've said it, because I, I think I know the definition, but I'm not sure if I know the definition. So the
1: easiest way I could probably describe it uh, would be it's kind of like living in a dorm, but as an adult in that you are gonna have uh, your own separate room that may have uh, your bathroom and a closet, but then all of the other amenities like your kitchen, your living room spaces are gonna be shared spaces. And the idea is that you can go, it's the transition between college to uh, your apartment or owning a home. And it's also the transition for uh, parents who are moving back from being empty nesters and they wanna reduce their uh, living costs. And so these are going up in a lot of different areas uh, we have a couple here in Columbus that are uh, in the Franklinton area. Really? We do. Um, and they're great because it allows people to socialize. And we're seeing some great um, uh, benefits from having different generations living together because they kind of learn from each other. And it's also a way that, again, you can form a community. Um where we're again, we're seeing a lot of people who are having issues with anxiety and depression and separation um, due to technology or just stress. And so it's a great place that they can go and learn and form a healthy living.
0: So your research showing some of that and literally the space being designed to help, address those kinds of things. I never thought in a million years, I'd want to go back to dorm living, but you make it sound like it could be pretty cool and yeah. it could be a lot of fun too. It
1: actually can. I mean, and some of these great spaces are spaces where you can go and learn and you can have a class, you can do cooking together. So think about all that. Like in, in my dorm, I never really got outside of my dorm room, you know, like there may have been a common area, but it may have had like a TV. These yeah, We spaces, know what those
0: look like. Right. They did know, not look like what you guys are designing. No,
1: these places have like green walls and they've got fun lighting and they've got, uh, spaces to just connect and hang out with each other.
0: And and with that, I can completely appreciate even how, as I think about aging parents and, and folks, like you said, empty nesters, why it would be so attractive to be able to have that immediate community from living in a a space like this. So,
1: you know, parents who have focused a lot on their kids and all of a sudden they have this extra house and extra space that they don't need, uh, they could be living in the suburbs. You know, we know that people are moving back in from the suburbs into the city so they can have the cool factor. They can have connection to the city and all the fun events that are going on. And these co-living facilities are driven to be in these downtown urban areas so that those older generation people can have all of that.
0: So... My understanding is that you have practicing architects and designers completing the research themselves. I mean, how important is that? What kind of value do you put on that?
1: I think it's actually uh, of great importance because... As the practitioners, we are the ones who are on the front lines day to day. We are the ones who are hearing from our developers and our clients the things that they're needing and the questions that they're having that allow us to go back and figure out what solutions and what answers we need to find. We're also the ones who could then take that information. And, you know, one side of it is the research where we have to have that analytical brain and we kind of have to shut it off and, uh, from the design side. And then we can take that information and then we can flush it out into design. So we can know what practical applications can actually occur because we're building buildings.
0: You know, I I take it that this was, have you guys always had this model? Has it been working towards this model all along from the, from what you know, in the time you've been there?
1: Yeah. Well, so what I will say is that research is always a part of our projects. You know, we're always looking into the site. We're always looking into the client. Um, About two years ago, I was fortunate enough to write two blogs for an international carpet manufacturer called the Mohawk Group. And when I was doing those writings and those blogs, I was looking for information. And I just knew it intrinsically because I come across a lot of stuff uh, through my design life. And I couldn't find some of the actual information. And our clients are also asking for some of that information. And so... Over the past couple of years, we've really built uh, across all the sectors, a team who are looking at cultural insights, who are looking at new construction technology, who are looking at sustainability and best practices. And we're taking all that. We're meeting on a monthly basis to talk about the things that we're finding and what uh, our projects are facing. And then we're trying to find those solutions. So it's been building over time.
0: I want to apply that for our listeners because a lot of them are working in a situation or have a company where they're they're thinking about implementing maybe a new process um, into a business model because, I mean, there's adjustment and there is growth and there can be pain points in there. Do you have any advice for the folks who are listening when it comes to implementing that new model? What does it look like for you guys over that two-year period as you've seen the evolution of it?
1: So the first thing that I would say is you have to figure out what the right question is for you. Like, what are you trying to solve for? You can't just say, okay, well, I wanna form a research team without knowing why you need to form a research team. the other thing is you need to make sure that you have support, so making sure that uh, whoever is in your organization that um, you can see as a leader in the company, you can reach out to them, and you can talk to them and help them understand why you think this is important. And also listen from them. It's okay for things to morph. It's okay for things to change. You also have to not be afraid for for that change to come, because at the end of the day, it's going to be an evolutionary process that's going to uh, probably... Uh, Sometimes I think about it as like, you know, a toddler trying to walk, you know, sometimes you bump into some things and you find things that you never knew you actually needed. And then other times as you're learning and growing, you just naturally evolve the process. So it's going to be an evolution at the end of the day. It's never going to be a straight linear line.
0: So you kind of hinted at this earlier, but I, I, I think our listeners will really find it fascinating. You guys are paving the path for mental illness awareness in our community. You're one of the groups that's doing that. Um, mental health awareness. And it's really amazing to see the work that you're doing on a daily basis to combat stress specifically. But my question is, how does an architectural firm and design firm come up with mental health as a priority? How, How did that happen?
1: Well, first of all, we're people too, and we deal with stress.
0: Yes, you are.
1: So I think the thing that we were seeing is, um, so the World Health Organization published a paper that said depression is going to be the number one healthcare concern by 2030. Um, one in four people throughout the year will have some kind of mental health uh, issue. Uh, we're seeing uh, the suicide rates of students has tripled. Um, I think it was since the 1950s. Um, And a lot of this is due to stress um, and a lot of it is due to chronic stress, whether it's from the workplace or whether it's from home. And so we wanted to make sure that um, we found ways that could help our clients and help ourselves. So stress is so bad for your body. It can actually cause issues with um, high blood pressure. It can cause obesity, uh, sleep issues, social issues, and productivity issues. So people who are under chronic stress Um, typically aren't as productive. And so we wanted a space um, that could allow for people to take a break And we wanted to figure out what science and psychology did we need to have in order to create the right space that would allow for that.
0: you know, for you, it's really important to be proactive in this area as opposed to reactive for many reasons. But I'm I'm sure you guys are feeling really good about it at the end of the day, what you're seeing in terms of what the research looks like and and how you're applying it. And I have to I have to mention, I mean, you said you were a Virginia Tech grad. Mm -hmm. And so I think about mental health awareness and all that happened on that campus. How meaningful is it to you to have this as part of the work you do and being an alum from that school and the awful situation that happened there.
1: Incredibly. I think that the youth of today are bombarded by so much and they are forced to be adults a lot earlier than we were and so i think uh, they're dealing with all this pressure and anxiety and stress and so if there were safe spaces on campuses that allowed people to go and take a break um, i think it would help people feel more comfortable but i also think that along with this we at our company is also have also um, made sure that we've broken the stigma of thinking that stress and anxiety is a bad thing and taking a break is a bad thing, too. So I think it's educating ourselves so we can help people so we don't have situations like, situations like what we had at Virginia Tech.
0: So you hit on something there about stress and where we are now. Um, do you, I, I get the indication that you guys know a little bit about the history behind it. I mean, does stress look a lot different based on your research right now than when it looked 25, 30 years ago?
1: Uh, Even farther back. So um, stress really comes from our fight or flight syndrome uh, in our brain. So what happens is when we're confronted with something, our brain goes into um, it produces cortisol and a bunch of other chemicals in our brain that elevates our heart rate and gets our body ready to basically flee or fight. And that was during the caveman era and timeline. And so what happens is now we're under chronic stress. That fight or flight syndrome was only supposed to be active for about three minutes. And now we are seeing people who are like a
0: predator is chasing. Correct.
1: And they're able to get away or defend yourself. Mm -hmm. And so now we are seeing it on a, you know, people are getting up in the morning and they're instantly checking their emails. And then you have, you're trying to get your kids off to school and then you're trying to get all your meeting deadlines done. And then you're worried about finances. And so it just builds and compacts itself. So I think our hope is that with this knowledge and understanding of how we can solve for it, um, these respite spaces can really become, in my opinion, like Kleenex, where they can be something that everybody knows and accepts just like a mother's room.
0: So, okay. So what is this respite room? Because you just alluded to it. I was going to ask you about it. I know you guys are doing things with, I call it respite room, mm-hmm. respite space. Yep. Um, you recently installed, MA and recently installed and created one, which really speaks to that psychological and physiological benefit of self-care. Where are you installing these? Mm-hmm. And did it come to life from the research and just applying it?
1: So uh, it came to life from our wellness group. So we have a wellness committee and realizing that stress is an issue. And then it dove into the the research of what we should be doing for a space. So we looked at everything from color psychology to uh, lighting factors. So uh, dappled light. So what you think about like when light comes through a tree actually relaxes our brains.
0: Yeah. Like Um, the light through the leaves. Is that what you're talking? So it's relaxing to talk about it.
1: (laughs) It is. Well, if you think about it, it goes back again to the cavemen when they're on like the plains and they're in a tree, they feel safe. So it's just, it's instilled in our brains and our DNA. Um, so we looked at that factor. We looked at um, how touch and uh, weighted blankets could be helpful to release uh, the good chemicals in our body that allow us to feel more relaxed. So we looked at all of that, those psychological and design applications and we put it together in a room that um, would solve for, in our opinion, workplace stress. Stress. Yep.
0: And so you guys have it at your, in your locations or at one of your locations. Yep. Do you think clients will start to ask for it?
1: Well, so we're starting to implement it. Um, we're educating our clients as we go through all of our projects to tell them about what stress is doing and encouraging them to have a space. And I've yet to have a client who said, we don't want one of those spaces. So again, we're hoping that it'll become something that we can implement not only across our workplace platform, but across all the sectors. So our uh, research team is working with... Um, our, our wellness engineers to try to make sure that we have different prototypes that we could take to each of our different sectors.
0: I love how you guys have really looked, you know, from a, I would say from a, a topical place, but also from just this research as well to apply these things, because I think we talk so much about mental health and anxiety and the stress in our lives, but what are we really doing about it at the end of the day? And there's so many different ways to address it. And you guys are doing it through space and creating that.
1: Yeah, and it's not it's not hard at the end of the day. It's it's actually a pretty simple solutions. So it's things that are not very cost prohibitive too, which is also great because a lot of times clients hear something new and something they've never experienced and they immediately shy away because they think it's going to be very costly and really it's not and especially when you outweigh the benefits for your employees because employees who are stressed are more often to take sick days and sick days turn into a financial uh liability for the company.
0: Yeah. Productivity is down, all of those things. Let's talk about GABA. Okay. Um, can you explain to our audience what that acronym, G-A-B-A, GABA stands for?
1: Sure. So GABA is gamma amino butyric acid. Um, and really what it is, is it's the uh, neuroinhibitor that when we get stressed out, it's kind of like the brakes on that stress. And so it helps calm us down. and. It's a great thing, but when you're under chronic stress, it actually um, decreases. So the more you're under chronic stress, the less GABA you have in your body. Mm. And so some ways that you can actually see symptoms of um, having an issue with like low GABA are um, irritable bowel syndrome, Uh, if your hands and feet are continually cold, uh, if you are uh, more prone to um, not being able to deal with certain situations, light sensitivity. So there's a lot of things that our body does to tell us that we are having issues psychologically.
0: This probably is the first time we've we've talked about like IBS on this program. I'm (laughs) going to really tell you the truth on that. But with that, though, it all goes back to stress. And so I'm thinking about all the things you just told me, you know, kind of the cold sensations, you know, and, and some of those things. What steps can we take in our own spaces to... Increase our GABA. Can we can we bring GABA back? Can we increase it? Can we bring it back? What can we do in our in our own spaces to make that happen? Just
1: by having mindful practices. So uh, a lot of studies have shown that simple mindfulness um, allows you to be more productive because you're uh, focusing on what's causing you stress and you're allowing it to uh, just release it. So taking a space and going and having a simple breathing exercise allows you to uh, just relax your brain and relax your body and get you out of that fight or flight syndrome situation. So that's really the, the issue is wanting to get out of that stressful situation, whatever that case may be.
0: Do I need to have a space in my office building? I mean, going back to the respite rooms, but like, what can I create on my own in my home? Do I need to have sure. that space where I'm being mindful and meditating? or can I, Do I get the same effect with my GABA? if I'm doing it in the middle of my living room with the TV on. I take it I won't.
1: I would suggest not the TV on. <laughs> what I would suggest is you find a quiet place. Um, it could be outside. It could be just whenever you feel comfortable. And really what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to uh, take some centering breaths. You're going to want to just uh, acknowledge where your feelings are coming from and just allow them to to not affect you anymore, whether it's through deep breathing. So I think you can do that um, anywhere as long as you have uh, a safe space to do it
0: you guys are really kind of blazing a trail in what you're doing and, and, and how you describe this to me and, and, and our listeners today. Um, innovation isn't always easy, though. It, it's not always easy. So what do you think comes next? I mean, can you, can you take the crystal ball? Can you be the futurist for a minute and, and think in your space, given all that you're doing right now, what might the future look like?
1: For uh, wellness in general, I think we're going to have more wellness spaces, obviously. I think the respite room is just the first step. I think we're going to see things like tech-free zones um, where we can go in um, almost library-esque, almost, where you go and uh, you don't take your phone in with you. And so you're purposefully separating yourself from one of those stressors. So those spaces that allow you to work where you want to and how you want to um, and not be bothered by those stressors when you, when you face them.
0: What are some brands that are really blazing the trail when it comes to innovation, do you think?
1: Um, well, so I think there's a couple of different things. Um, Lululemon um, is one that's great. So we were at South by Southwest this last year, and they had a brand activation where you went in and uh, you could put these goggles on, and the calmer you were, the more vibrant the colors were. So you're actually rewarding yourself by being more calm
0: and your bu- and your brain was reading that so you just would continue to come so there's sensors
1: more. that allow you to understand that um, Google had glasses at the Design Milan fair that actually um, responded to your body in the way that you were stressed and changed part of the environment. So I think that we could see Google Glasses that would maybe paint pictures or artwork or change our perception of what we're seeing.
0: They have totally changed that development concept from what it was back in, I don't know, 2010, 2011. Right? That no th- longer
1: a search engine. No
0: longer a search engine. Um, and and really, at the end of the day, that's what innovation looks like. Even if you have a fail, right? Even mm-hmm. if you have one of those situations, or not even a fail, something where it just is not catching on, they went back to the drawing board and decided to go a different direction. And as you mentioned, I mean, this is this is where they are with that concept now. So it's it's been awesome spending time with you. I really do appreciate you being here. I, I just want to ask you, uh, from from you know, a young professional personally, because we have a lot of those who listen to this as well what really motivates you and gets you up in the morning to do the work, to do life? I mean, where are you right now with all the stressors that we do have in society and that probably impact you just like they impact me and the rest of our listeners?
1: So I think uh, part of it is the company I work for. Um, We have a great culture at MA. Um, It's a culture built on support of one another and really acting as a workplace family. And so I have mentors there that I can reach out to, that I can ask questions, and I don't have to be afraid. To ask stupid questions. Um, It's also about having that human centric design and changing the paradigm around um, certain situations. So, uh, the respite room is a great example of that. Being able to affect change that can affect somebody's life um, excites me. And I like learning about it. And I like being able to take that knowledge and translating it into an actionable item.
0: As you had said to me before we started recording, you kind of nerd out over that. I nerd out out a lot.
1: I read a lot. (laughs) I read a lot.
0: (laughs) Any advice for our listeners who might be struggling? to find their motivation, to find their why?
1: I would say um, go back to what interested you as a child um, because I think there's a lot of good thoughts there that we sometimes brush away from as we go through school or life. I would say just start reading a little bit. Just start seeing what pings your interest when you are reading an article. Um, Google things. There you go, Google. We're plugging you again. (laughs)
0: Apparently we are today. We didn't mean to.
1: Right. Uh, But, you know, just... um, going down a rabbit hole about a certain uh, fact of knowledge that you never knew about and seeing what inspires you to change your lifestyle.
0: Well, I think you've handed out some of that inspiration today with some really great advice. Mark Bryan, uh, Senior Interior Designer with m Architects and Associate. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a review on our show on iTunes or whatever preferred service you use. It really helps other listeners find our show, and it helps us to plan future episodes like the one we just had with Mark. We read all of your feedback. It is important to us. CBuzz is produced in collaboration with Capital University, and it's recorded at its Convergent Media Center. Beautiful space. We want to thank their talented students, faculty, and staff for really helping bring this program to life for you our listeners. On behalf of the Columbus Chamber, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.